Hey friends, and welcome to episode 195 of It's About Time, a podcast sharing stories and strategies to inspire better work, life, and balance. I'm your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman Cornick, and today's episode is all about doing it all. Recently, I was chatting with one of my newest time management coaching clients, and she shared that it really grinds her gears when someone says to her, you have so much going on. How do you do it all? Because typically, it's a line or a question that's asked with a bewildered look, a combination of amazement and curiosity, and uh, occasionally almost a tinge of sarcasm. And I can completely understand why that question would be annoying, because if behind the scenes, you feel like you're not doing it all, and you're definitely feeling like you're not doing it all very well, it can be really hard to hear someone ask how you're doing it all. Kind of like standing on the shore and asking someone who's drowning, you're a great swimmer, where did you learn to swim? It's not helpful. If you've ever felt like you're completely failing at doing it all, sorry to disappoint, but this episode isn't designed to help you how to figure out how to do it all with ease and grace. Instead, I'm talking about why doing it all isn't always the best goal, and that attempting to do it all by multitasking can be a recipe for complete and total overwhelm. So today I'm talking about why multitasking just isn't real and why we definitely shouldn't consider it a superpower. I'll share what's really happening when you think you're multitasking. I'll cover the cost of multitasking and how it negatively impacts our productivity. And of course, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to share what to do instead of multitasking even if you are a multitasking junkie. And because I know you're probably making the most of your time and you're listening in the car while you're running errands or you're doing stuff around the house, it might be a little inconvenient for you to stop what you're doing and take notes. Don't worry, I've got you covered. You can find all the details from this episode over in the show notes, plus links to any of the resources or other helpful podcast episodes that I'll mention. And today's show notes can be found over at a.com forward slash 195. Oh, and by the way, listening to a podcast and folding laundry is actually a good kind of multitasking. So keep that up. Oh, and if you haven't yet, I encourage you to hop over and click that subscribe button to be notified as soon as new episodes go live. If you like what you hear, I would be so grateful for your feedback and a five-star rating and review. Those reviews play a huge role in helping others find It's About Time. Plus, it means the world to learn what I can do better, what I'm doing well and can keep doing, and to generally just hear from you. Plus, you might get a shout out from me in a future episode. All right, it's about time we get started, so let's get this show on the road. 
You're listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Around here, we believe that busy is not a badge of honor. Your host, Anna Dearman Cornick, is here to share tips and strategies to help you make the most of your time. Listen in on real conversations and success stories to find out how other go-getters are getting things done. If you're ready to step away from the overwhelm and spend your time on what matters most, then you're in the right place. Here's your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman Cornick. All right, so let's dive headfirst into the world of multitasking and why it might not be the productivity superpower it's made out to be. How many times have you seen a job posting looking for someone who is excellent at multitasking and juggling a variety of projects in a fast-paced environment? I mean, there are so many job postings out there looking for that type of person that we've begun to believe that multitasking is a good thing, something that we should aspire to be good at. We often picture it as this remarkable skill that enables us to tackle numerous tasks simultaneously, getting so much stuff done and checking off every box on our to-do lists. And you've probably heard people brag about being good at multitasking. Maybe you've even been one of those people before. But here's the thing. Multitasking isn't the effortless juggling act that it appears to be, and every single attempt at multitasking comes at a cost. It's stressing you out. Seriously. Every time we switch between tasks, whether it's moving from a half-drafted email over to respond to a Teams message, or stopping in the middle of a half-written blog post to respond to a Slack notification, our brains are working overtime to keep up. And what's even worse is that multitasking makes us feel like we're getting more done in less time by doing several things at once. But research suggests that any time we skip hop around from task to task, we're more likely to screw up, to make a mistake, which then requires us additional time and stress to fix. Here's the kicker. Studies have shown that multitasking, task switching, context switching, whatever you choose to call it, it can result in a loss of up to 40% of your productivity. Y'all, that's almost half. Imagine losing almost half of your productivity because you're trying to do too many things at once. So we can call it here and now. Multitasking is not a good thing. Well, sometimes it can be, but in very specific cases. And I'll cover one of those specific cases right now and just get it out of the way. So when you combine something active with something passive, you have a greater chance of multitasking success. For example, something active, like folding laundry, but again, not very complex, with something passive, like listening to a podcast, which just requires your ears. However, even this combination isn't foolproof because I can't tell you how many times I've gotten lost in a TV show while sitting next to a pile of unfolded laundry that I put down next to me 20 minutes ago. It doesn't always work. So bottom line, now that we're on the same page about multitasking as a myth, let's uncover what's happening inside our brains when we attempt to juggle multiple tasks. 
I bet you didn't know you were getting a neuroscience lesson today. I don't have to tell you that our brains are extraordinary things, but they're just not wired to handle an excessive number of tasks at the same time. And to fully understand this, we need to first understand the concept of cognitive load. Cognitive load refers to the mental effort required to process information and make decisions. When we multitask, we increase our cognitive load as our brains attempt to switch between tasks and keep everything in check. Imagine your cognitive load as a pool float skimming the top of the water. Every time you switch to a different task, you add a brick to the float. Switch again, and before you know it, the float starts sinking because it just can't handle the weight of all of the bricks. Plus, task switching is just mentally taxing. Every time we switch from one thing to the next, our brains have to adapt to the new thing it's looking at. And that results in a temporary loss of focus. In the moment, it might feel imperceptible, but it adds up. And then we've got attention residue to deal with. Attention residue, as gross as it sounds, that's what happens whenever part of your brain is still focused on the last thing that you were working on, even as you try to shift your focus to something new. It's like trying to draft a memo while you're still mentally stuck on the email you were just writing. The truth is our brains, specifically our prefrontal cortex, can only handle so much. And if it's been a while since you took a human biology class, your prefrontal cortex, that's a key region of our brain that's responsible for executive functions like decision-making and attention. It plays a pivotal role in multitasking, and it can only handle so much before becoming overwhelmed. And as much as we wish we could be multitasking productivity machines, the fact is that we have limits. And when you accept that you have limits, it can make stepping away from multitasking just a little bit easier. But if our brains can't handle, if we weren't built to handle multitasking, then why do we even try? Why is it so tempting? The ridiculous thing is that even though our brains can't handle a heavy cognitive load, our brains love novelty and variety. And that love of novelty and variety, the need to switch things up, is why multitasking makes us feel like productivity all-stars. Every time we switch between tasks, our brain releases a hit of dopamine, you know, that feel-good hormone. It releases that hit of dopamine as a reward. So let's get this straight. Our brains can't handle the cognitive load of multitasking, and yet it gives us a dopamine reward every time we try to multitask. Y'all, it is wild, and it is no wonder that multitasking is causing us a lot of stress, whether we realize it or not. When we try to tackle multiple tasks at once, our stress levels can skyrocket. And the constant switching between tasks and the pressure to perform can lead to anxiety and burnout. And then over time, that stress adds up. That prolonged stress can contribute to feelings of overwhelm, reduced job satisfaction, and even symptoms of anxiety and depression. 
Does any of that sound familiar? I mean, who knew that multitasking could be at the root of so many problems? Not to mention multitasking can affect the quality of our work. When we're stressed or rushed and we're jumping from task to task, we're just more likely to make mistakes and miss details. Plain and simple, multitasking just results in a big old mess. Okay, y'all, so I know we could all probably use a little more time in our day, right? You're no stranger to busy schedules and intentionally filling them up to the brim because you just have so much to get done. But sometimes it feels like you don't really ever have the time to just slow down and enjoy the simple things. Simple things like when my toddlers are giggling and playing nicely together in the backyard, or when a Sunday afternoon nap sounds too good to pass up. We all want more time to enjoy these kinds of things, right? Well, if you love personality quizzes like I do, then you're in for a treat. In my new quiz, which you can take for free at AnnaDKornick.com forward slash quiz, I'm helping you uncover what it will take to get you from chaos to calm, to finally feel like you have space in your days. I know it can feel downright frustrating to keep using the same old time management strategies that just don't seem to work for you. You've got the planners, the calendars, apps, you're doing all the things, but you still feel like you have no time. And that's because you need time management strategies that work for your personality and your life. In my 10 plus years working in crisis communications and chaos management, and all the time I've spent with my clients, I've learned that everyone has their own needs. And knowing what those needs are can really help you discover the best approach to planning your days. Knowing yourself can help you ease up busy schedules, and find more calm and clarity in your week. Do you wanna know how to get there? To have more breathing room in your days? Let's figure out your time management personality type so you can uncover exactly what you need to do to feel more productive, less stressed, and more balanced. You can take the quiz at AnnaDCornick.com forward slash quiz, and I'll make sure to link to the quiz in our show notes. All right, on with the show. So if multitasking is a total myth, what on earth are we supposed to do instead? Here are five things to try next time you feel tempted to multitask. First, prioritize what's on your plate. One of the best ways to cut back on multitasking and start incorporating prioritization into your life is to ask yourself this simple question on Monday morning. What are the three most important things I must do this week? When you pause before diving into your week, because so often we just want to get the work done. We want to start doing. We don't want to think. We don't want to plan. We just want to dig in and start getting stuff done. But when you pause before diving in and you ask yourself this simple question, you have the opportunity to think big picture about What's going on in your life? Things you must do in the week ahead. And of course, the reality is that there will always be more than just three things that you'll need to do in a given week. But some of those things are going to rise to the top. Some will just be more important than others based on the goals that you're working toward. 
the deadlines that you have in mind, and what's important to you as a person. And if you've tried this and you are still struggling to prioritize, it might be time to craft or revisit your vision for the future. Because when you're not clear about where you're heading, determining your priorities can be really tough. But if you've got the prioritization down, you can also ask yourself this simple question at the start of each day. What are the three most important things I need to do today? Just like asking yourself the question on Monday, this quick exercise at the start of your day can help you zero in on the most important things to do today. When you're clear on what you need to do today, you're less likely to jump around from task to task because you've identified those most important things. Focus equals less multitasking. Second, try single tasking. Simply put, single tasking or monotasking is doing one thing at a time. And when you're first getting started with single tasking after being a chronic multitasker, it can be a little challenging and take some practice. Definitely easier said than done, but it is oh so worth it. When you focus on just one task at a time, you're able to work more efficiently, more effectively, and plus you make fewer mistakes. If you're ready to embrace single tasking, try this. Grab a timer and set it for five minutes. Oh yeah, we're gonna start small. Set a timer for five minutes, even better if it's not a timer on your phone because it can be so tempting to switch over to Instagram and get lost over there for 30 minutes. So if you have a standalone timer or a cube timer, a kitchen timer, anything else, grab that timer, set it for five minutes and challenge yourself to do just one thing for those entire five minutes. Whatever it is, working on a report, writing a blog post. And as you get started on your five minutes of single tasking, you might have to treat it a bit like meditation. Anytime you notice yourself wandering over to another task, just turn your attention back to what you're supposed to be working on. Be gentle with yourself. You're trying a new thing and it'll take some getting used to and some practice before it feels natural. Third, Use time blocking to plan your day. This one's huge. And I've definitely talked about time blocking before on the podcast. I specifically remember episode 78, where I covered some of the basics of time management. But for a quick refresher, time blocking is creating blocks in your schedule on your calendar that represent how you'll spend that time. When you time block, you're intentional about what you'll do and when. When you create specific time blocks on your calendar that represent how you'll spend your time, for example, from nine o'clock to 10 o'clock, I'll write a blog post. From 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, I'll prepare invoices for clients, et cetera, et cetera. When you know how you'll spend that time, it's a little less tempting to jump around from task to task. And I'll admit, just putting blocks on your calendar isn't enough to prevent multitasking altogether. You've still got to stick to the blocks you create for yourself after all, but it's a great start to flex that anti-multitasking muscle. The fourth thing you can do is to avoid multitasking temptation. 
So for example, if you know that you feel tempted to jump over and read and respond to emails as they hit your inbox, close your inbox while you're working on something that requires your focus. Just eliminate the temptation, close the inbox. And if you know that your cluttered desk causes you to jump from pile to pile, set aside some time to clear off all the clutter once and for all so you're not distracted or tempted by all the random piles. If you know that you're prone to stopping in the middle of something to respond to Slack or Teams messages, consider closing out of those communication programs for 30 minutes just so you can put your head down, get work done, and then check in with your messages once you finish your important work. Honestly, if you can close out of every program except for the ones you absolutely need to get your work done, that's your best bet. Everyone is going to have different multitasking, context switching, distraction triggers. So pay attention to yours and then take the steps you need to avoid falling into those tempting traps. And finally, number five, if you're still struggling with multitasking, it might be time to call in some reinforcements. Anytime we incorporate accountability into something we're working toward, whether it's a goal, starting a new habit, and even cutting back on multitasking, we're so much more likely to be successful with the support of an accountability partner. Is there a trusted colleague that you can ask to be your no more multitasking accountability buddy? Chances are they're struggling with multitasking just as much as you are. Talk with them about creating little single tasking challenges here and there and reporting back on how things are going. When we've got support, we're more likely to follow through. And there you have it. We've covered a lot of ground today from unmasking the myth of multitasking We've explored how multitasking affects our brains, and you've got five strategies to start successful single tasking. And quick recap, those five strategies are, one, prioritize what's on your plate. Two, commit to single tasking. Three, use time blocking to plan your day. Four, avoid multitasking temptations. And five, get you some accountability. Now that you're equipped with these five strategies, I challenge you to choose one to implement in the week ahead. Remember that good time management and productivity isn't just about doing more or getting more done. It's about doing the right things, doing better, and spending time on what matters most to you. I'd love to learn more about how you approach multitasking, including which one of those five strategies you're going to try out in the next week. And I'd also love to be your support along the way. So I'm inviting you to join us over in the It's About Time Academy. You can head straight to AnnaDCornick.com forward slash academy, and you'll find the link to join us over in the show notes for this episode. And those show notes can be found at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 195. And before we go, let me tell you a little bit about next week's episode, episode 196. In episode 196, we're pitting time management against attention management to see who comes out on top, winner takes all. Which one is more important, time management or attention management? What even is the difference? Well, find out next week in episode 196. All right, that's it for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you soon. 
Thanks for listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Head over to www.abouttimepodcast.com to join the conversation. Check out the show notes and dive into bonus content so you can start living your best life today. Love this episode? Be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode.